Blog Talk Radio. And I Tuning into Health for HD Live. Health for HD Live is brought to you by Health for HD International and is made possible by our sponsor, the Griffin Foundation, and an education grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Dr. Peg Napolis. She is a professor of psychiatry, pediatrics, and neurology. She is the DEO and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Iowa Hospitals in Iowa City, Iowa. Dr. Napolis is a physician scientist. Her clinical care consists of taking care of patients with Huntington's disease in Iowa's HD Center of Excellence, where she has worked for the last 15 years. Dr. Napolis' research focuses on study of the brain and behavior. This is done using state-of-the-art neuroimaging techniques, specifically MRIs. Dr. Napolis is interested in aspects of understanding normal, healthy brains, such as difference in brain structures and function between sexes, as well as understanding how the brain changes with the development through adolescence. In regard to HD, she is interested in studying the effects of the Huntington gene on the brain development and is the director of the Kids HD and Kids JHD program. The Kids HD program evaluates brain structure and function in children at risk of HD, and the Kids JHD program is the first ever neuroimaging study of JHD subjects. I'm really excited to have her on the show today, and we are actually are talking about something different than we've talked about with Dr. Napolis in the past. Today, we are talking about neuropsychiatric testing and people who have tested positive for HD but are considered pre-symptomatic or pre-manifest. So welcome to the show, Dr. Napolis, and can we start by talking about what is neuropsychiatric testing? Sure, and uh, it's a pleasure, as always, to be uh asked to help and educate, and uh, neuropsych testing, another name for it is cognitive testing, and cognitive testing is just a general term that means thinking skills, so cognition, cognitive skills are things like language skills, kind of mathematical skills, visual skills, memory, attention, all the thinking skills that come under the umbrella of cognitive skills. And so it's testing how well a person does in each one of those categories. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Because, see, and I, we always think of when they use the word psychiatric, we think of behaviors and, and, and um, but, you know, I think that's a word that often people misunderstand. So that's really good. Under, I didn't realize that's exactly what went under that testing. It is. And in general for, you know, when we think about the three pillars of symptoms in HD, you know, one is motor, mm-hmm. 
and that one is pretty mm-hmm. simple mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, a neurologic exam. And then the other is cognitive, which is the thinking skills. And then the third is mm-hmm. psychiatric or behavioral. And so you're right, the behavioral, emotional aspects that come under what we would call psych- psychiatry are different mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the thinking skills. The thinking skills are very much what we call cognitive. And uh, that cognitive testing is usually provided by, um, actually, it's, it's a person who's a neuropsychologist. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it's actually neuropsychological testing instead of neuropsychiatric testing. Um, and so that's the difference. It really is that, that second pillar, uh, which is cognitive and thinking skills. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. That's so we were in a, my uh, Mike and I were involved in a clinical trial, and he had to do um, uh, this this testing, this cognitive testing, and it was done by a neuro, neuropsychologist, and it was done on a, on a computer, and she saw a lot of him. And I didn't realize why a psychologist was performing this test. I would think it would be a neurologist, um, but that makes a lot of sense now. I I just learned something new. That was a light bulb moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And they are, um, and typically they're they're a specialized psychologist. So they're they're mm-hmm. they're doctors. So they have their PhDs, and they're also mm-hmm. psychologists. So you know they can provide counseling. Many of them, many of them are therapists as well. But when you're a neuropsychologist, you're specially trained in how to interpret and uh, test for thinking skills. And so they they typically work in tandem with someone who actually administers the test. So they typically have Mm -hmm. someone with them called a psychometrist, and that psychometrist actually administers the test. But the neuropsychologist is the doctor, the psychologist. They're not a medical doctor, but they are a Ph.D., and so they're the ones mm-hmm. who interpret and then uh, go over, you know, what the findings mean uh, for the patient. Okay. Okay. So, so how is this type of testing kind of different than when you go to see your neurologist? Yeah, it's, it's so it's way different. So for, I mean, the neurologist is very much a physical exam. I mean, we call it a neurologic exam, but you can think of it as a physical exam because it's hands-on. Uh, and so classically, you know, people uh, know what a motor exam is. They're asked to tap their fingers. They're asked to, you know, reflexes. They're asked to move their eyes this direction, that direction, stick their tongue out, you know, hop on one foot. <laughs> There's a lot of things to mm-hmm. test the neurologic system. And that really is testing, you know, the motor system. So it's, it's looking for the chorea in an involuntary movement. And it's also looking for motor skills, like fine motor skills or balance problems. So it really, the neurologic exam is very much a physical exam. And the cognitive testing is very much a thinking, not a feeling. In general, emotions and behavior are psychiatric. But the cognitive testing is how are your thinking skills? How's your memory? How's your concentration? How's your language skills? How's your reading skills? So it's really uh, very different. And so instead of putting a gown on and sitting on an exam table, uh, you sit with the psychometrist who 
um, and I call them paper and pencil tests. It's almost like brain teasers, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. looking at a, sh- a sheet of paper and maybe that sheet of paper has a set of lines on it and you need to pick uh, the line that matches the same angle as this representative line. That would be like a visual task. Um, or another task uh, that's kind of simple to explain is what we call uh, verbal fluency. And it would be uh, name every word you can think of beginning with the letter C. You have one minute. Go. You know, cat, cradle, mm-hmm. cinnamon, you know. <laughs> and so those are right. thinking skills. And so, like I said, some of them are done without paper. Some of them are done where you actually have to, you know, do, um, you know, tracing on paper. Um, but it's, it's brain teasers. Um, and it's really kind of, you know, paper and pencil and very quantitative, not just, you know, I think he did good on this. It's actually counting. How many did you do? So it's uh, what we call quantitative because we can measure it. Mm. Yeah. And so I wonder, it's so funny because I think people, um, well, let, let me get to this first. Is if people are pre-symptomatic, do you think that this is a test that would be positive or beneficial to someone um, that has tested positive for HD but is pre-symptomatic? Yeah, it's a great question. And in my opinion, it they are very helpful, mostly in the context of, understanding change over time. And what I mean by that is when you're pre-symptomatic, you know that you have the gene. And for the most part, uh, you know, when you progress and you begin to have symptoms in the disease, let's just say that a patient didn't get cognitive testing. And then they started to have maybe motor symptoms And sometimes it's hard to tell whether you're having changes in your thinking, um, especially if there's subtle changes. If we get neuropsych testing, cognitive testing on that patient, uh, and let's just say it's the first time we've seen them and they may have some, you know, they're at the beginning of their disease, it's really hard to know. Is, is, Is this a change from before? Is this exactly the way they've always been thinking lifelong? Or is this the early signs of Huntington's? And really the only way to determine that is to be able to compare it to something. Um, So testing that you do what we call baseline testing. So when you feel you are, you know, pre-symptomatic, fully healthy, you don't have any symptoms, you don't think you've had any change in thinking skills, that's actually the best time to get the cognitive testing and that serves as a comparator, right? That serves as, okay, here's, Mm -hmm. here's my brain, before any symptoms of Huntington's at all. And then later down the road, if there is some evidence of the, of the disease beginning, and if there's a question, are there thinking skills, you know, changes? When you repeat the test, you can compare it to that baseline. And that way you can say, mm-hmm. okay, actually, nothing's changing here. You know, you may have some motor symptoms, but your thinking skills have not changed at all. Or... You know, you have some changes over time uh, in certain areas compared to where you were, you know, two years ago or something like that. And so that that comparator to the baseline 
is really helpful because, like I said, if you wait until symptoms start and then you do testing, it's hard to know the way that person has always mm-hmm. uh, had the thinking skills. So it, it is really mm-hmm. helpful to get it at a point where you feel like, okay, I have no symptoms. This is representative of my best brain. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I also think that we as caregivers and family members and even friends, you know, we hear this all the time where they couldn't perform their job anymore or they just couldn't think about, the, you know, they, they would come home and be frustrated and I, I just couldn't get this right. And I think it's confusing without testing. The, like you were saying, the motor manifest, you know, we, we see it. It's very, you know, sometimes it's subtle, but then it will become very apparent. But you see the movement. You know, and my husband has horrible yep. crea yep. and always has. So I, I know what that movement looks like. But the cognitive impairment in the beginning of his disease was very confusing. Um, was he mm-hmm. tired? Did he have a bad day? What's going on? Should he be working still? How long should he be working? Should he bring down duties? So I, I, this testing would probably, I would think, help people answer a lot of those questions possibly. It does. On daily functioning, very, I imagine. Yeah. It is. It's very, very helpful. So a, a lot of patients, what happens when your cognitive skills start to decline, you, you initially just work harder. So your, your brain mm-hmm. works harder to do the same task. So you're in your same job, mm-hmm. and even if, even if you're still performing your same job, it may take 150% of your brain power than it did before. And a lot of patients mm-hmm. struggle just with the fact that they become so worn out that for them, sure. even yeah. if they're still keeping up with their job, man, it's so much harder. They're so much tired or they're more tired. They're, they're mm-hmm. really frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that kind of testing, uh, and in particular when it gets to the point where, this can be helpful where we can say, you know, you have enough deficits where it's time for you to stop working and get disability. And, you know, one Mm -hmm. of the things that we've, you know, struggled with over time is um, sometimes patients are disabled in terms of their thinking skills, but their motor symptoms are not that bad. And uh, Mm -hmm. so we've had some concerns with the disability insurance well, they can walk and talk, and so, geez, they don't need, uh, you know, disability. Uh, but we've been able to do a lot of education of Social Security disability and making sure that people know that even if the motor symptoms aren't dramatic, they can still get disability based on the fact that their thinking skills does not allow them to, to work. Um, and so for, for some patients, it's really important, um, and like I said, quantitative. We can do a very specific report and say that, you know, this patient has, you know, deficits in thinking and attention and memory such to the point that they are, you know, um, not able to get gainful employment. So it can be really helpful for those decisions. Yeah. Definitely. And so how often would you think that someone would have that should go get this testing done? Like we see our neurologist um, when I know once a year before um, my husband saw Mm -hmm. Dr. Wheelock for once a year for a very long time. Is this something that Mm -hmm. that that should go along with your once a year appointment or what's your thoughts on that? Usually once a year is a little too often. And so usually uh, what we recommend is every couple years 
or if if there's a change, so if there's a noticeable change, if you get testing mm-hmm. in one year and another year comes up and within that year, you know, family notices a, a change, then it's okay to do because you've noticed a change. But routinely, it's not something that we do every year. Every other year, and sometimes just when, you know, when we think it's time, you know, to maybe, you know, there might be a life decision in the context of, you know, 24-hour care or whether they need to stop working. But uh, once a year is too often. Okay. And, and how would someone go about getting an appointment for this type of test? Yeah, so it's typically, uh, I mean, oftentimes, you know, a, a clinic for Huntington's will be associated with uh, a neuropsychologist. Um, but if, if not, they're typically in the context of um, in academic hospitals, uh, you know, psychiatry departments uh, or neurology departments. But the, the neuropsychologists are, you know, part of the healthcare team. And so it's usually something that's a hospital-based service. But absolutely, there's also private practice. You can get cognitive testing from a private neuropsychologist as well. So um, it's relatively easy to be able to find these professionals uh, and set that that process up. Mm, Okay. Yeah, and I like that. And so so it's not always called neuropsychiatric testing. It's called uh, cognitive testing. Yeah. Cognitive. It's more yes. likely to be referred to as neuropsychological testing because it's administered and, and okay. supervised by, by a neuropsychologist. Okay. It's so funny because, you know, um, I was talking to a, a couple people about this show, and it's so interesting. I always am very – I watch people's responses on shows we're going to – and the one thing that I found recently, and it's very interesting to me, is when we say the word psych, uh, psychiatric – or anything along those lines, people who are pre-symptomatic, a lot of them will kind of shy down. Like I've even been saying, mm-hmm. oh, we're doing something about psychiatric at our education days. And they said, we don't want to talk about psychiatric. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of it, women, like a couple of women have come to me and said, I don't want my husband to know all this about what I may become. And I was like, that made me really start thinking because I never thought about it like that before, that that word scares a lot of people especially that are, are pre-manifest disease, um, that know they're positive, um, but they, ha- they aren't showing any symptoms. Those, that seems to scare them, that I'm finding the more and more I talk about it, which I find very interesting. Um, I think one lady said she didn't want her husband to leave her. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so sad for me to hear that. Um, so it's it's interesting what those words come, what the people in their mind go to, and um, so I mean that is so I was just kind of interested. So neuropsycho neuro a cognitive testing or neuropsychological testing. testing. Yep. Neuropsychological. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think it, and, um, no matter what, yeah. yeah, psychiatric and you know emotional behavioral problems. I mean it, they they carry such a strong stigma. Um, because yeah. people yeah. somehow feel that they are more uh, at fault. So people, yeah. I think, will understand that, gee, if they start having involuntary movements, that's not their fault. But, boy, if they start having anger outbursts or poor attention or <laughs> bad decision-making for mm-hmm. some reason, 
you know, not only the patients, but sometimes the family members will interpret that as, well, that's just bad behavior rather than the disease. And it's it's harder. It's harder to figure out. (laughs) And so, and it does, it carries a lot of stigma. Right. Well, and that's interesting you say that about it's harder to find out because, you know, there is no, I mean, we we start to see behaviors come about, but there's no special test that's going to tell us if they're going to end up with psychiatric uh, symptoms at the end of life or in life or mid stage. There's nothing, you know, out yep. there that, that, that tells that, um, that I know of, and you would know that right. more than me, obviously, but, um, I think that is what yeah, really it's, scares it's, people. Yeah. And it's more variable for them. For the most part, every patient with Huntington's will have motor symptoms and cognitive think- symptoms. So they will have mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. deficits and motor deficits. Not everyone will have, emotional or psychiatric problems. And even in those who do, it can sometimes come and go. And so it, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. progress the way that uh, thinking skills and motor skills. I mean, it's, it's just a well-known fact that the thinking and motor skills will get worse over time. The behavioral mm-hmm. stuff is just way, way more variable. There's some things that are, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, you're right. It's hard to predict. It's hard to know, you know, who's going to manifest mm-hmm. those symptoms, what behavioral symptoms will they be? And, you know, mm-hmm. will they get worse over time? So there's a lot more variability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the one, the only thing that's good about that, that I always tell people that when, when I talk to other uh, caregivers and, and, and other patients, when we're on a one-on-one call, the one thing I always say is I know it seems the scariest, but it's the one that, we are lucky that does have treatment options. There is yeah, stuff out absolutely. there. Thank goodness. Think about it 20 years ago, what you would have gone through. Yep. Now, like Mike has been on many medications and they have, they have helped. So there's good yep. medication for that. And That's unfortunately not so much with the cognitive. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So, you know, other, yeah. other diseases, other dementias do have some medicines that will try to slow the cognitive changes, you know, like in Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, mm-hmm. I think most people know those medicines are not dramatically effective, but they're also, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't even use them in Huntington's. So they're, they're, they have not shown to be effective of, of all, at all in Huntington's disease. So we don't, we don't have a mechanism to treat the thinking skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is there anything else? Um, that you would advise people who have a, that are HD positive that are pre-symptomatic that's looking into this type of testing to be done? So one of the things that, that may be difficult is that uh, getting insurance to pay for it. So uh, mm-hmm. if, if, they, if they just have the gene and they don't have the diagnosis, uh, meaning that they don't have the clinical symptoms, it's possible that the insurance won't pay for that baseline cognitive status. Um, but I, it's something I think to work on and ask your insurance company because I think it's really important um, because that's really the thing that will provide, you know, the comparison when, you know, the symptoms do arise. So be careful about making sure that, that your insurance will cover it. Um, but otherwise, it's in, in our clinic, it's one of the most important tools that we have to help patients and families with 
understanding some of the major life changes. Um, so, and these are typically further down the road for the disease, things like stopping your job or stopping driving or needing, you know, a, a, another level of care. For the pre-symptomatics, like I said, the, the most important thing is, is trying to get a baseline when they are 100% symptom-free. That, that's really, I think, the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Napolis, for coming on with us today. Um, it's always exciting to talk to you. I feel like I only get to see you about once a year. So I will see you in Sacramento this year for HSG. We're really excited. You guys are coming to California to come see us. Yeah, it is awesome. I think that's We're excited too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the next time we'll be together. Um, just for updates, the only update I have is May 4th we will be in Puerto Rico. Um, if we have any listeners in Puerto Rico, please come out. It's at the Sheridan in the convention area. It's a free event, as always, for all of our HD families. Uh, we have a doctor coming, uh, Dr. Pedro Chana, coming from Chile, who is an amazing neurologist, has been working over 30 years in HD. He has his own daycare facility in Chile. Him and his wife run the foundation in Chile. Um, he is an amazing person. I can't wait to meet him. And then we have Laura Bada coming to run all of our youth program for Maracaibo, uh, Venezuela. Uh, she's actually in Chile right now studying, but she is coming in. Um, and then we have a lot of really great speakers. Dr. Shank will be there, who is our psych- the psychiatrist on the island. Um, so if you are and if you're on the island, please come out and see us. Um, I know that the whole entire thing will be in Spanish, so um, that way everyone understands what's going on except for me. Um, I'm trying to brush up on it, but I don't think I'm going to learn it in time. Um, so uh, we will see everyone in that area. Please come out. And then for May Awareness Day, um, as always, Help for HD has a lot of stuff going on, so keep your eyes open as of May 1st for some things that we have for our community coming out. Um, until then, everyone have a safe week, and thank you, Dr. Napolis, for coming on today. Talk to you soon. You're so welcome. Thank you so much.